3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market in summer, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money Starts Now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How do we explain today's rally? Dow surging 596 points. S&P poll voting 1.86 percent, Nasdaq jumping 1.62 percent. Was it the prospect of a soft landing for the economy? Or a reopening for China? Or the Fed chief getting tough on inflation? Or the girdings from tech and retail? Or the stalling of the Russian advance in Ukraine? Or was it just random, like so many up days of late? Before you can understand what happened today, if, you could, if it can be fathomed, you need to know where we're coming from. Last night, I felt absolute desperation when I came out here and tried to be positive. People told me I was the only positive commentator on air, and that was viewed as a negative. See, I hated being alone on the bull side because everyone just dismisses you as some sort of cockeyed, non-rigorous optimist. As I said last night, the world favors pessimism, even as the Dow has rallied from 1,000 to 33,000 since I got into this racket some 40-odd years ago. And, of course, the whole time I was trying to be constructive, you had this madman slaughtering innocents in Ukraine with the hapless Russian generals just nodding, agreeing, pulling the trigger, even as Putin seemed to think his troops would be welcome with garlands. The only garlands they're seeing are the ones on Russian graves. So it doesn't seem right to try to make money now, no more than it seems right to call about a great quarter, right, when you're praying that the Russian military throws away its professionalism and orchestrates a palace coup against Putin. Isn't that what you want? At a certain point, you have to believe that the squeezed Russian oligarchs will take action, but they've been living under his thumb for For more than 20 years, they have good reason to be afraid of him. Still, one thing's for certain. If a market rallies when nothing seems good, as it was when I left last night, that means there's something good lurking over the horizon. It's just that we haven't recognized or factored it in yet. What's something uh, maybe we're, we're talking about here? Well, let's acknowledge that not all the dreams I mentioned earlier need to come true in order to ignite a rally, sustain rally, not one day, when stocks have already come down so far from their highs. Notice, I didn't call them cheap. Many are, but some remain expensive. I just mean that tons of names are down 30, 40, even 50 percent from their highs. Good quality names, which tells you that the reflexive dip buyers, well, you know what happened to them? They've been completely blown out. That was easy. They're gone. So which of the bullish dreams can explain away a rally where the advanced decline line finally turned a resounding positive? Meaning the move up was broadly based and healthy. And by the way, this is the first one of these so-called big lifts that, it was, that was like that. Well, first and most obvious, there's the clear-eyed logic of Fed Chief I don't know what kind of derision Jay has to bear, but I can tell you that when I defend him, I'm pretty much instantly considered a lightweight or a knucklehead. His critics are legion, and they repulse me. You know why they repulse me? Because they hate him until he opens his mouth and speaks, and then they fawn all over him until the next time. Clowns. That's what happened this morning when he went in front of Congress, said that inflation's too hot, has to raise rates, 25 basis points, pretty good start. That took the March Fed meeting blues off the table. While Powell acknowledged that inflation is certainly way too strong, He made me feel like there could be a soft landing, meaning that he doesn't feel the need to destroy the economy in order to save it from the threat of inflation. Powell did his job. He made us feel confident. That changes the equation. And it made me feel personally that the situation, which seemed out of control to many, is under control. And unlike the summer soldiers and sunshine patriots, Jay Powell, I'm all in. Does it mean we've already peaked with inflation? Is it at peak inflation? No, absolutely not. Inflation abounds, especially with the grains and the fuel complex raging higher. Remember, though, they don't have to go down immediately. There just has to be the possibility, that's your key word, possibility, that they'll go down at some time in the future. And Powell reassures that they will. Remember that the stock market is at all times a game of possibilities. And if one is credible, it has to be included in your calculus. How about Russia? It's telling that the defense stocks were down today after President Biden gave his State of the Union address because he didn't talk about arming Ukraine with the latest weapons that we have. That would have been a certain escalation. I'm beginning to believe, though, we've been looking at this, war all wrong. I think you have to look in a tragic way, look at it through the lens of Iraq, the last time a major world power invaded a medium-sized country. Like the United States back then, the Russians thought they'd be greeted as liberators. I remember having dinner with a general who was the architect of the post-war Reconstruction, and he figured we only need to leave a small group of soldiers behind to help rebuild, just support troops, no need for frontline combatants. He got fired pretty quickly when he realized, when all of us realized, that we were in a dangerous quagmire, and that's the word you're going to start hearing, quagmire. Similarly, I'm told that Putin assured his generals that they'd be welcomed by the people of Ukraine, that they were liberating the country from a lightweight leader whose previous job had been an actor. Well, guess what? You could have said the same thing about Ronald Reagan. Turns out actors have a pretty good track record against Russia. Which brings me to the grave misjudgment of Putin and his kleptocracy. It's not that Russia will lose the war. So far, Putin doesn't seem to care about the sanctions. Although if his pals' yachts get taken away, maybe it'll hit home. The issue is that even if Russia wins, what does it give him? Sure, they can occupy Ukraine, but they'll have to leave a puppet government backed by a gigantic standing army that could tie up their entire military for years and years. And that's the best case scenario for Putin. If he somehow loses the war, still unlikely, he'll have so much blood on his hands that he and his regime will be reduced to mendicants, begging for scraps from the People's Republic of China before they'll be overthrown. Not that China would give them money other than payments for energy. Meanwhile, we have to acknowledge the business. I mean, the business of companies as, is as strong as I've seen it. The ones that are reporting. I don't mean just the oils, which are outstanding. How long can that last? Well, I'm going to defer to Rick Muncreve. He's the CEO of Devon Energy, who will be the investing club's special guest for a meeting at 1230 sharp on Friday. Be there. The retailers. Sure, Target was terrific, as expected, following in the footsteps of Lowe's and Walmart. But how about Nordstrom? I'd given up on that stock a long time ago, even as I like to shop there. When Nordstrom shoots the lights out, you know the consumer's extraordinarily healthy, despite $111 oil. Most impressive? Tech. Now, I know Salesforce stock fluctuated, to say the worst. Up seven, then down seven. But it's absurd. It's down 100 points from its peak. At the same time that Salesforce printed by far the best quarter it's had in years, right on the heels of a great number from its cloud compatriot, Workday. But heaven forbid a company just sells a lot of product and loses money. Uh, this market is saying... Just say no to this kind of stock, including two that we're talking to tonight, Okta and Snowflake. When you factor in that both our country and China are taking off the mask again and they're going out, you have to believe that uh, people are contented to have some degree of COVID in their lives as long as they're vaccinated. So you're getting a lot of very visible stocks that are humming. Bottom line, once again, you do not need the whole parade of positives to play out because we only have so many stocks that are in bear market mode. That's what matters. In fact, you only need one or two positives to ignite a sustained rally. If we get more with this level of negativity, the market could be like a coiled spring because so many stocks are in bear market mode. Nonetheless, I still expect it to be a very bumpy ride. Let's go to Draper in California. Draper. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Draper.
2: I'm not sure if you saw, but the market went up today.
3: Yeah, well, you know what? Periodically, it does that. I don't know. I mean, everyone's so negative. It kind of came as a shock. I'm not sure people recognize it. What's up?
2: (laughs) Right. Uh, My question is on Carvana, ticker CVNA. Yes. They they reported earnings a week ago, missed a bid on EPS, popped revenue estimates, and also announced the acquisition of physical auctioneer car auction services. They did, however, note their guidance, rising used car prices as a dent in their business, along with rising interest rates. My question is, with the macro events happening, geopolitical factors
3: holding up against this market right now. OK, this, this, this oh, is a bye. tough one, Draper. Here's the problem with Carvana. You know, when they started, they were the only guy at it. Now there's so many, including, don't forget, uh, Lithia Motors is in there. There's so much competition. I like those guys. But you can't have competition and have a high multiple stock. And in this market, expect to make a lot of money, and they are losing money right now, and maybe that's all we need to know. Now, you don't need the whole range of positives that I just outlined to play out, because so many stocks are in bear market mode. They're so much, so low from their top. You only need one or two positives to ignite what could be a sustained rally. Hey, look, I came here last night and told you there might be one, and we got one. Let's, let that last guy, like like Draper. It did go hard today. Oh, everybody! Tonight, Octa poured the bell. Uh, not sure that it's exactly what the uh, Octa Octa ordered. That's like you know, Octa like the Octa. I'm checking in with the CEO. Then the market has been rocky to say the least, but it's finally time to piece through some high-quality stocks that have high yields that didn't used to be because the stocks used to be much higher. I'll reveal some names I'm watching. And fresh over of earnings, I got to figure out what the heck happened to Snowflake. We'll talk to the top brass. So stay with.
4: head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
5: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express.
2: NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start
3: saving. What needs to happen for the beaten-down cloud stocks to find a bottom? Take Okta, the cybersecurity outfit that handles identity management for the enterprise. Ever since Fed Chief j Powell started talking tough on inflation, Okta's been pulverized, although it's rebounded hard off its lows a few weeks ago. The problem here is that the stock remains expensive, expensive on sales, and this market has no patience for high-flying growth names anymore. Which brings me to tonight. Okta just reported a better-than-expected quarter, a clean top and bottom line beat, but they also gave mixed guidance for both the current quarter and the full year versus what the analysts are looking for. While their sales forecast was strong, they're also projecting larger-than-anticipated losses. Does it matter? So what do we do? Let's check in with Todd McKinnon. He's the co-founder, chairman and CEO of Okta to get a better read on the quarter and what happens next. Mr. McKinnon, welcome back to May of Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. It's great to be back on. All right. So, Todd, obviously, the top line momentum continues. These new clients, these additional work for old clients. What did you pull in
1: this quarter? It was an impressive quarter. Uh, I was really impressed by what the team accomplished this quarter across the board, whether it's top-line revenue growth, whether it's customer success. We're up over 15,000 customers now, and we're helping all these customers transition to more cloud, be more of a remote-compatible company in terms of security, adopt new technology, help them with their customer experiences. Identity is at the center of all of these things, and we're right there with them, helping them be successful.
3: Uh, Now, but at what point do we say, you know what? You're winning so big in the category, it's time to start focusing on making money or closing those losses. Because in this market, a stock goes down if you do top line, but don't give a projection of great earnings sometime out.
1: It's important for us, and we've been consistent on this for six or seven years, which is this is a massive opportunity. It's an $80 billion TAM across workforce identity and customer identity. And every dollar we can generate in cash flow, it makes sense for us to pour that back into investing to to capture this market. So we're not going to burn cash. We're going to stay cash flow positive. But those investment dollars pay back over time. You see it building up in in our RPO growing incredibly fast. You see it building up in our net retention. We're able to take those customers and upsell them, provide them more value. Our net retention and expansion is over 120%. So we've proven to be efficient with those dollars in the past that we've invested. We continue to go forward and capture this $80 billion TAM.
3: But at the same time, I want to talk this non-GAAP operating loss, uh, $23.8 million versus $34.4 million consensus assessment. I mean, don't these numbers matter? Uh, your gap net loss was substantial versus the net loss of the analysts. Why can't we get these in line so that the analysts at least understand your goal of taking over
1: everything, even though it costs more money? part of the main idea is invest for growth while being efficient we don't want to just burn money here we're going to keep generating cash we're going to keep growing we're going to make sure we do this in an efficient way and we have to communicate and make sure that everyone understands we're investing for growth and also there's a lot of moving parts we're completing we're coming up on three quarters now of the off zero acquisition and that we have to make sure we keep clarifying what what's in and what's out and how to how to forecast these things out in terms of analyst expectations. But I think we're doing a good job of that. And I think the story is resonating.
3: Okay. So where are we with uh, zero trust security? I know there's a company I like very much. that recently had someone impo- uh, really impersonate someone at the company, guiding a lot of information. I- is that possible with a zero trust pro- product that you have at Okta?
1: Well, zero trust security is where the whole industry is going. And it basically means don't assume you can trust anyone because they're in an office or they're in your data center, because we all know you got to support security from wherever people are working and you have to support customer experience no matter if it's in your data center or a cloud data center or somewhere in between. So don't trust anyone, always check everyone's access. And to do that, you have to have a great identity story and identity platform. And that's what we provide. We have our identity cloud, which lets customers know exactly who is supposed to be accessing which resources. It's this this cloud database that keeps it all straight And allows them to get to this model where they can check everything consistently without making it hard for end users. So it's easy to use and security.
3: Okay, so Todd, how good
1: are the Russians
3: at being us? Do you see the Russians come in and pretend to be uh, our citizens and break in and get sensitive data?
1: it's not i mean everyone is, is at risk for a cyber attack whether, no matter what part of the world you're from or what part of the or what industry you're in everyone's moving more things online and everyone has more to gain from technology and connecting to users and connecting to employees but there's also more risks and that's what's driving this whole cybersecurity focus and that's why everyone's focused on this zero trust capabilities and moving from the architectures of the past, which were firewall centric and some of the legacy technology people tried to use to secure in the past and moving for this world where they have a strong central identity system that can keep track of who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, keep it all secure while still allowing these organizations, these businesses to go forward because we can't just shut down. We have to keep open. We have to make sure we connect to our customers and provide great tools for our employees all, all while we're also being secure. But there are certain security sensitive situations like our grid Okay,
3: like the Pentagon, uh, like what we have in terms of uh, what we have in terms of missiles, what we have in terms of of defense contractors, that it should be against
1: the law to not have zero trust. How do they get away with it? Well, there's there's there there are regulations and there are capabilities. In fact, a big part of our business going forward is going to be the U.S. federal government. And we're working hard on something called a FedRAMP high certification. We expect that later this year. And that is the certification that that uh, that proves you have the capabilities and the security and the robustness to sell into the sensitive parts of the federal government, so there are regulations because th- there, you have to make sure you batch the risk and the potential for, for harm with the upside of using the technology and these certifications make sure that everyone's operating in the way they should be toward uh, those ends.
3: Have you any, had any inquiries from Ukraine or offered to help some of their institutions? Because they've got a grid. Right? The grid's still up. I don't know how they must be using
1: some sort of zero trust. Well, our first, our first priority when, when we think as a company about Ukraine and the situation there is for the safety of the people and our, mm-hmm. specifically any, any contractors or employees we have there. So we're thinking about the human part and the, and the people first. And then over and above that, we're thinking about like we think about across the world is how can we help companies with identity and how can we help them use technology so they can further their goals and do it in a secure way? Well, look,
3: I, yeah, look, I, I think there's no choice. I, I don't really understand why our government doesn't just say, look, you're not allowed to trust anybody. There's, so, there's zero trust software. Go get it. But, I mean, that's probably why you have this incredible revenue growth, because people know they have to have it. Thank you, Todd McKinnon, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Okta. Great to see you on the show again, sir. Thank you. We have money's back here for the break.
4: Coming up, only the best of the best can stand up to the rigors of Kramer's criteria. The numbers don't lie, but the results of Kramer's stock screen may surprise you
5: Visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Hey, like I said at the top of the show, there are a lot of things that can go potentially right here. I think it's important to remain constructive. But even if today's rebound, we know the market's going to be bumpy for but some time. There's so many crazy things happen. The longer the conflict in Ukraine drags on, the worse it'll be for the market unless Putin caves and doesn't seem like he's going to. Wall Street craves certainty. Personally, I'm glad the Russian invasion has been so inept, but my personal feelings don't matter. The stock market doesn't care about good guys or bad guys. It just cares about the war being over. However, we've reached a point where I think it makes sense to sift through the rubble, searching for high-quality stocks that have been beaten down to actually ridiculously cheap levels. I keep telling you to leave some cash on the sidelines. So you've got some money you can put to work at low prices. Tonight, I want to give you a shopping list. That's right, a shopping list. After doing a lot of thought about this, after stocks have come down to see what's cheap and what's not. At moments of tremendous fear, okay, we're worried about both geopolitical and Fed band recession, although Pal Valenida kind of, yeah, he was pretty good today. I like to fall back on something tangible. I like to fall back on dividends. There are lots of different ways to value stocks, but those all get called into question during a major sell-off. Nobody quibbles with cash, though. And thanks to the sell-off, many great dividend stocks have actually become what we call a. H-Y. It's a term I created during the 2008 period with my friend Matt Horoway, who writes with me. What it basically is an accidental high yielder is a company that sports a really good yield only because the stock's been clobbered. Remember, as the stock price goes down, the dividend yield goes up. All this indiscriminate selling has created many stocks with what I think are absurdly high yields that also happen to be dirt cheap on the earnings. So which dividend stocks are worth per- picking on here? And remember, there's always a little nitpicking we have to do. We've got to be rigorous about it. So what do we do? We start with a screen of the S&P 1, uh, 1500, right? That consists of the S P five hundred, S P mid-cap 400, and the S&P small-cap 600. We started by looking at all the stocks with yields north of 3%. Okay, Remember, that's much more than Treasuries. There were 283 of them as of last night's close. Next, We cut anything that was down less than 20% from its highs because we're looking for real beaten down stocks here. And that took us to 103 names. That's a surprisingly high number that shows you the scale of this devastation in this market. Then we ran a valuation screening. We don't want anything more expensive than 25 times earnings. The whole point is that these stocks should be cheap on earnings. But we also don't want anything that's selling for less than eight times earnings because that's often a sign that something's going very wrong. And the earnings are about to evaporate. You know what? That left us with 58 stocks to analyze. So finally, we ran one last screen. We didn't want anything with a market capitalization smaller than $2 billion because we're looking for reliable stocks to buy at a discount for you, not speculative names that are more likely to be hit or miss. Put it all together and that left us with 39 accidentally high yielders to pull the file and make decisions on. After narrowing down the list, I'm going to give you our top 10. I like some more than the others. And Ben Stowe and I went over this It's very difficult in an emotional moment to think anything's any good. But let's start with the first one. You'll see what I mean. Simon Property Group. Now, this is a real estate investment trust that owns the best shopping malls in the country with a 4.8% yield. I think that's actually a no-brainer. As Omicron fades, people start going out to shop in person again. Fabulous return to normal play, especially since uh, Simon's used the pandemic to consolidate its position in the industry and take ownership positions in struggling tenants like Brooks Brothers and Forever 21. These guys reported an excellent quarter a month ago, but the stock got little credit because their funds from operations, and that's the metric you need, well, their forecast came in a bit light. Simon's had a consistent track record of over delivering, and I bet it's a buy down here. Once I free up some space for the Chapel Trust, I think I've got to shortlist this one because I know that David Simon is being very conservative. Now, the second one is a big industrial. We've had the company on a lot of times. It's Dow, it's got a 4.7% yield. Now, this one's more risky. Dow is a commodity chemical maker with significant supply chain exposure. If the Fed overshoots with rate hikes, well, it could get hammered. But I think it's a great deal of that risk was already baked in the stock because Dow's down 20% from its all-time high last year, before the stock got a big bounce today, that is. Plus, their most recent quarter was pretty strong. And you know what? There's been some confusion that caused the stock to be weaker. The confusion has to do with the fact, you know, these guys do better with higher oil prices. Some analysts were saying they do worse. That's wrong. Third is IP, International Paper, one of the world's leading makers of corrugated packaging and absorbent pull. Now, this stock's been getting killed by rising raw costs, even as International Paper has finally started putting through major price increases to pass them on to the customer. Unfortunately, the company has a Russian joint venture, thinking of getting rid of it, which is why the stock's really been hurt over the last week and a half. The other problem is that International Paper is very cyclical, kind of like Dow. But if you think the Fed can engineer a soft landing, which is what Powell was talking about today, how about this? 4.4% yield for a good industrial. Again, at the end of a cycle, you're not supposed to own the stock, but it's front and center because of that yield. Now, here's when you're all going to be interested and You go to Walgreens Boots Alliance. This pharmacy chain is controversial, but for a different reason. For years, Walgreens has been a big, bloated retailer. could never seem to articulate a good strategy, unlike, say, CVS, which bought Aetna and has one. But that is all changing because Roz Brewer Late of Starbucks, another stock I like, by the way, took over CEO nearly a year ago. She delivered a series of better than expected quarters. She's put together a solid digital strategy. She's thinking about strategic actions for the Boots UK business in order to unlock value. Stock jumped from the mid-40s to the mid-50s when that story broke. But since then, it's given up all those gains. I like Walgreens down here. I think they're paying you to wait with that attractive 4.1% yield. Don't forget, sometimes you've got to go with the CEO. Brewer is good. Our fifth little, uh, let's say, unknown contour brands. That's the maker of Lee and Wrangler jeans. You remember, you part of VF. Yesterday, Contour reported big earnings beat, coupled with worse than expected sales. Stock plunged more than 9%. Today, it made up nearly all those losses. I like Contour here because denim is back in style. Management just gave us a tremendous earnings forecast. And you got that 3.8% yield. Doesn't hurt. It's not doing as well as Levi's. Six is a company that I've come to like that is really hated. It's called Newell Brands, big consumer products company. I liked it for a long time. Then it did badly. It made an acquisition with Jardin. Didn't work out. Lost uh, its soul, basically. But now, it's shooting the lights out. A report a few weeks ago was terrific. Stock exploded higher response. Thanks to the recent sell-off, it's given back more than half of its gains. Everybody's worried about how they'll handle raw cost inflation. But they seem to be handling it very well because they've got pricing power. It doesn't hurt. Nual's got a 3.9% yield management. I like them. Seventh, controversial. American Eagle Outfitters. They got denim, too. Now, we actually own this one for the Travel Trust, where it's been a thorn in our side, to say the least, because we paid up too much for it in 2021 when we got too excited. That, by the way, was wrong. It always is, right, to do, play emotionally. I played emotional. I liked the clothes too much. Matt Boss, the analyst, J.P. Morgan, had me like it. We spoke with the company. They were good. And then, boom, it went bad. Now, though, as a good yield. Now, tonight they reported. Okay, and what did they do? They matched expectations for the mostly pre announced quarter, but you know that isn't enough. And because the company's taking a cautious view of 2022, their words, their operating guidance for the year ahead fell short of the annual assessments. This is crushing me. Stock moved lower still after hours, but. As difficult as the names become, the negativity is overdone with the company's shares trading at seven times earnings. That's crazy. And now you're only roughly 3.7 percent. We're going to do a hard analysis tonight for the club. OK, for club members, members only, you know, it's only I don't, can't just give it away. But I, I say don't pull the trigger until we've done the work. It's the freight costs that are causing a problem. Don't worry. We'll have a full bulletin tonight. Eighth is Pfizer. Now, I used to be worried about these guys because they had a huge patent cliff, suboptimal pipeline. But thanks to the usually successful COVID vaccine, Pfizer's made a fortune. They've used that money to fund some smart acquisitions to give them new drug candidates they desperately need. Remember, they also took a stake in Biohaven, which I like so much because of migraine. Because of the recent sell-off, the stock's now down more than 20 percent from its December highs, 3.4 percent yield. That could be a gift. Ninth one you're excited about: innovative industrial properties, a real estate investment trust. Don't you want because it's a landlord for cannabis cultivation facilities? I think IIP is a great business, but because cannabis is inherently speculative, everything connected to it has been crushed over the past few weeks. Mistake. This one's absolutely nuts. You can get it. the marijuana picks and shovel stock for a 3.15 percent yield. Why not go for that? All day, brother, that all day, trash the trash to people. Buy. Finally, number ten. Really, the highest quality of all the companies I've mentioned. It's Morgan Stanley. Now we love this. This investment bank that's pivoted from, toward, uh, from just pure banking, trading, you know, all that stuff, capital markets, they call it, toward asset management. But the stock's fallen from 108 to 88 in three weeks, for heaven's sake. Wall Street's worried about sanctions on Russian banks and uh, 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 how it will affect American ones. The thing is, Morgan Stanley has much less exposure to Russia than most of its bank peers. I think stock will never return to the triple digits. They're simply paying to wait with that 3.2% yield. And I've got to tell you, they're in there buying stock, and so is the trust. We are attempting to make Morgan Stanley one of our largest positions the Chapel Trust right here. Uh, which you'd know if you watch our CNBC Investing Club morning meetings. It barely budged today. What a great opportunity. Bottom line, even after today's big bounce, it's not too late to start putting in some money in some of these names. fun when you like. Given the current backdrop, I wouldn't be surprised if you can buy it even more at lower levels because the market's so choppy, it's flopping, it's chopping, and it's giving you opportunities that most people don't want to take. I say take one of these. All right, now let's go to Dennis in Connecticut. Dennis, Booyah, Jim. How are you doing today? I am doing fine. I'm, a, you know, obviously in the business world, the, uh, you know, in the real world, we all feel for what's going on in Ukraine. How can I help you? It's a sad world. I know. My question's about Raytheon. They got a top notch CEO, Greg Hayes. They make the uh, Javelin missile when it got announced, all these contracts. Everybody went mentioned the Lockheed. Doesn't anybody know that basically they're joint partners in it? Well, why don't you know this, what? I not Raytheon get credit? For I think Raytheon. Th- you know what? This is reason. I'll tell you why. Because Raytheon doesn't really feature it uh, when you read through them, uh, but it, it is absolutely a good thing for them. Now, this stock just moved uh, 20 points, and I think you got to be careful because I think when the president didn't mention defense last night uh, and buying a lot more stuff, that's going to be a two or three day decline, and then you buy some Raytheon, and I think it'll do well. Thanks to the late, latest sell-off, many great dividend stocks have become what I call AHYs, accidentally high yielders. And even after today's rally, it's not too late to start putting money to work in these names. Remember, we still got to do more work on this one, okay? And this is the one that I like the absolute best. Much more mad money ahead. Putting my exclusive with Snowflake. Wow. What the heck happened? Could the cloud stock bring a blizzard to Wall Street after earnings? I got discuss this. I myself don't even know. then I and I follow the copy since it came public. I love Tesla. I love Elon Musk. But is there room in this town for other EV players? Hmm. I'm surveying the space and talking about today's news from Ford and some news from GM just the other day. And of course, all your calls, Rapid Fire, tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Keep telling you this market has no patience for high-flying growth stocks, even when they pull back substantially from the November highs. Even when they report solid numbers, their stocks can get hurt. Let, let's look at Snowflake. I miss the cloud-based data analytics company. You know I like so much with a stock that's down more than 20% in after hours trading. While Snowflake's sales and earnings results were fabulous, Wall Street was apparently disappointed by their full-year forecast. Management talking about the product growth rate slowing to less than 70%, which other companies, by the way, would kill for. But it's not what the market wants to hear right now, and it does represent a big slowdown from the triple-digit product revenue growth that Snowflake's posted for the past three years. Remember, in this environment, growth stocks will never get the benefit of the doubt. Even if they have a long history of practicing underperformance over delivery, are continually delivering for multiple years. Snowflake's real sin though is having an expensive stock in a market that does want to pay up for growth. Hasn't been punished enough. Let's take a closer look with Frank Slootman. He's the chairman of the CEO of Snowflake. Learn more about the quarter. But he's going forward, Mr Slootman, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Dan. All right, so, Frank, absolutely, I'm glad to have you because it's an important day because I look at the key business metrics, product revenue, okay, very important you tell us that, remaining performance obligations, we know that's key, total customers, fabulous growth, net revenue retention, best of any company I know, best, and yet, uh, and customer trailing 12-month product revenue growth, terrific, but you did, I'm going to give you point blank, you do have one line that says your year-over-year growth is going to slow to 65 to 67%. That's all people care about. And I have to tell you, Frank, I don't know how it is going to slow, given what given these numbers.
6: Now, yeah, you know, Jim, I think people are still getting used to uh, the, the, the idea of a consumption uh, model. Right. I mean, the future hasn't happened yet. I mean, we re- we report revenue and what, what people are actually consuming uh, during the quarter. I mean, we have tons and tons of customers that we have zero history with. That you know, we somehow have to project uh, exactly what they're going to do and how they're going to grow. So, you know, last year, for example, just by comparison uh, for the year, we we guided at about 80 percent growth, and of course, we we actually came in at around I believe 106 or so, and that's because in, in a consumption model, uh, it's not the same as the SaaS model where, where things are you know under contract. Right and it has a very different cadence. Um, So over time, you know, people will get it, and they'll
3: grow up with it and get used to it, I hope. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, a lot of companies, I've been saying no more losses, no more Well, your free cash flow was fabulous. (laughs) I mean, it was an amazing free cash flow. And it's like, well, no one cares about that. Suddenly, they're just looking at one number. What I look at that free cash flow, I say to myself, customers are using the product more and more, but it's not a SaaS model, I understand. But to project what a given customer will do is very, very difficult. And yet, I would tell you, given the retention rate, frank you're making it a little harder yourself, judging by what they do, they find a way to use it, and they like it
6: that's exactly right, and uh, you know with the, I use the term snowball effect, obviously appropriate, uh, but that's really what happens right The bigger you get, the bigger uh, you become um, we, we We pick up scale, we pick up speed real easily once we get going uh with customers, and you see that reflected. Uh, In the numbers and the net revenue retention rate, really, the the whole footprint of the business shows
3: it. Well, I mean, when I look at the the kinds of customers that you're signing up, I find it hard to believe that once they test drive your product, They won't use it more and more, which, again, makes me feel like that when you get a Chipotle or BlackRock, when you get an Albertsons, when you get a Domino's, Adobe, once they come in, it's like, try it, you'll like it, Frank. So, I I mean, couldn't you have easily just said, look, we don't know what we're going to do next year in terms of revenues, but we think it could be better this year, might be a little slower. We can't tell. This is not that kind kind of uh, of business. But instead, you gave us something that I was surprised at myself, because I think you're going to do much better than that.
6: Well, we uh, we take a data-driven uh, approach, which you would expect from a data management right, company.
3: Right, right.
6: Um, you know, we don't put the wet finger in the wind and we go like, well, we think it's going to be this. That's not how we do things. So we'd rather come from a conservative posture and be able to walk things up. Uh, you know, it's, it's not all, all about, uh, you know, fair weather forecasting. and. You know, disappointing the world uh, later. People are going to look at our history and, and
3: make determinations from that. We we'll leave a little bit of work for you, Jim. So, well, I like that. I think a lot of the analysts want to be—they want to get a number from you. They want you to say <laughs> 100%, and then they say, "Okay, good. I don't have to focus on that one at all." I'm looking at it with a different mosaic. I'm saying that there are a lot of companies in your position that come on the show and they have no operating cash flow. They have nothing. It is amazing to me that you could generate this revenue growth and still have this operating cash flow because that shows tremendous rigor and discipline. And I think that's Frank Slootman. These other people think that a number on a page about how you might do is Frank Slooban. Uh I don't get it. I don't get the disconnect between my knowing you, these other people. Maybe they don't know you. Maybe they don't know that what you're saying is, look, this is a variable model, but they do love it. Look at that net retention. Am I looking at it right?
6: Yeah, you're looking at it correctly. Uh, this is a, this is an uh, you know incredible business. Uh, obviously, the, the the moods of the market is a little foul right now for uh, you know for good reasons. Um, but you know, uh, a quarter is a is a single mile marker in a marathon. Now, let, let's not get too excited here. Uh, we're in the beginning innings of an enormous opportunity and transformation uh, in, in the economy, and uh, you know this is going to be a blip on the radar, uh, you know, pretty soon. Yeah, I know we have to, you know, examine it in all its glorious detail, but it'll soon be history and we're moving on to, uh, to more interesting, uh, things. We, you know, announced the, the acquisition of Streamlit today. We'll be really excited about that. Right. For us, it's all about building the platform, uh, the, the vision that we have for for the company. That's that's the the exciting stuff and uh, you know pretty, pretty soon we'll uh, you know we'll have new things to talk about.
3: All right now I don't know if you're allowed to talk about. It. Let's talk about Instacart for a second. I know you're on the board, but Instacart does a million transactions. They could they don't need Snowflake. They could have used something else, a SaaS model. Why is Insta, why does Instacart choose a Snowflake other than the fact that you were on the board? Because I know you if you felt that somebody else was better, you'd send it that way.
6: Oh, of course. Well, you know, Instagar was a snowflake. Uh, you know, customers long, and long before I, um, I I joined the board, but Instagar is a tremendous company. Uh, obviously, it's, it's half a technology company, and it's it's really transforming uh, you know retail in, in in the most profound way possible. Last year, they grew. You know, f- uh, or, or even two years ago, they grew five hundred percent. Very short period of time during the height of the uh, uh, of, of the pandemic. How is that even possible, right? Your underlying uh, platforms, your infrastructure. You know, have to just be able to allow that kind of growth to happen. You know, uh, without breaking pace, that is incredibly hard to do by any historical standard. And that is really where where Snowflake absolutely excel. You don't have to do any upgrades. You don't have to buy any different. It's a consumption model. The 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 product, the platform will just stretch elastically to meet the demand of the enterprise, and even in the most extreme scenarios like that.
3: You know. Well, I got to tell you, Frank, I think nothing's changed other than the fact that you are a conservative man who always does it, always does it. I think it's not going to be any different this time. Frank, I thank you so much for coming on. Always telling it straight. I like Snowflake. Frank Slubin, Snowflake, Jim Rossio, <laughs> great to see you, sir. Thank you.
6: You bet, Jim. Thanks. May
3: I back after the break.
4: Stick around,
3: May I Make a suggestion. I would stay with him.
4: The lightning round is coming up next.
3: <laughs> it is time. It's up The Lightning Round. What is that? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Steve, Dave, have The lightning round because Dustin in Florida. Dustin! Hooya! How are you? I am well, thank you. How about you, Dustin? Excellent. I would like to know your thoughts on Norwegian Cruise Line. One of the worst performers in the market, with one of the best CEOs, I still believe. I think at $20. With the, with everything starting open around the world, it is a buy, buy, buy. now we're going to Enrico in New York. Enrico! Oh, yeah. Giddy up, Jimmy. Oh, Jill place. says hi to you, man. What's happening? I feel like I'm, I have a bad girlfriend. You had one of these growing up. I can't figure her out. She's I a never had a sideways, bad girlfriend in my whole life. Not one. It's incredible. I'm the only person who can I say hear, that. I hear you, but this one's in the electric utility company, and, and she's just sideways. Even throws in the divvy, though, in there ticker a symbol. C-I-G. I think that's an interesting spec, frankly, because I believe in emerging markets and that would certainly be the way to play it. I'm gonna say you're on to something. I like it. It's kind of like a good girlfriend. Gina in Florida. Gina! Hi Jim. you G- for giving
1: us perspective for all these years.
3: Absolutely, sure do try. Matthew makes things is the drop a gross overreaction? You know, I was like astounded astounded that people hate. You know what? we got to bring them on. I am not going to jump the conclusion because I just said, wow. I'm so glad i have not pushing this stuff because I have to like the product. I use it every day during the pandemic. We let's get Massimo what Their products are fantastic and I never understood that, that shortfall. Let's go to Fritz in Illinois. Fritz! Jim, first time caller. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. All right, sir. I'm calling about Foot Locker. Now, I know there was a big sell-off last week because they said they're going to sell less Nike, but I think that might be an overreaction. Well, you know what? Here's what oh, I feel about here. it. I, I was tempted to think it was an overreaction, but here's my problem. I have another retailer that I like because of the yield and keep thinking it's going to come back, and it's been a mistake. Foot Locker, I think, is at cross-purposes with Nike right now. Nike wants to do more direct-to-consumer. Foot lockers in the way. I am not attracted by that yield, if only just because we were worried about the fundamentals. Let's go to Chris in New Jersey. Chris! Hi, Jen. This is a first-time caller. Oh good! I've been watching it now for many years with Cutlow and Kramer. All right, thank
2: you for helping I help you out a little bit, small investor.
3: Oh, uh, like, that's my goal. That's my—I was a small investor. That's my goal. Well, Thanks for taking this phone call. Number one, I want to ask you your opinion of Digital Bridge. There are too many of those. You know, I mean, like I don't want to—you know—the invest in Digital Tower. I saw, by the way, that. Uh, we actually had some better movement in the digital centers, but I'm going to say no to the tower business in any way, shape, or form. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round
4: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, when Detroit scoffed at an electric future, Elon carried the torch. But now the big auto is in another gear, is Musk destined to share the spotlight And the profits? Kramer has more next.
3: I love Tesla. But when it comes to electric vehicles, the tide is now turning in favor of the major incumbents, namely Ford and GM. And against the rookies like Lucid with its traumatic manufacturing shortfall or Rivian which is raising the price of its cars before even putting them out. That's a bushly maneuver if i have ever seen one. Today, Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford, announced a surprising move. He's effectively splitting his company into an internal combustion team and an electric team. Now, Ford's legacy business can subsidize the new one. As the internal combustible uh, people, well, they weren't really able to switch (laughs) mentally or physically, frankly, to electrics as effectively as Farley wanted. And he's always been crystal clear that he can't beat Elon Musk without the best electric vehicle team imaginable. That's why he brought in Doug Field, formerly of Tesla and Apple, perhaps the foremost leader in the space after Musk himself. Farley wisely resisted calls to engage in ill-advised financial engineering and break up the company. Now he can use the cash and the designs from the internal combustion side to make tremendous electric vehicles like the Ford F-150 Lightning, the electric version of its best-selling pickup truck that's coming out this fall. The new Ford F-150 Lightning can illuminate a house or, when equipped with Salesforce.com sulfur, even run a business. Farley's a big thinker and a big hitter. He's not playing you pot here, where you under-promise and over-deliver. He's making a stretch goal of 2 million profitable electric vehicles by 2026. Crazy. Maybe crazy like a Musk. Not to be overlooked, though. Mary Barra. Mary Barra over General Motors is also doing some amazing things. I can't believe no one seemed to notice that she appointed Kyle Vogt to be permanent CEO of Cruise, GM's important self-driving arm. Notice I didn't call it a project because they're way too close to operating the darn thing in San Francisco knows. Vogue, who helped invent Twitch, is a genius, the kind of genius who isn't supposed to work at GM. But this GM is run by an exceptional car person up from the rags, who's doing many things right and gets almost zero recognition publicly, even as this kind of bold move has become quite signature for her. Barr is a champ, and the industry's finally taking notice. She could run rings around some of these so-called geniuses who run the nascent pure-play electric vehicle companies. Uh, it's taking some time. Uh, our, our car companies, by their own admission, can't move as fast as they'd like. A year ago, GM showed a commercial for the electric Hummer, which is an altering 1,000 horsepower machine of beauty, and it's just now becoming available. My wife is a car nut. She would tell you that one of the thrills of her life was test driving a Lamborghini sports car at an, and an SUV at 180 miles an hour through the st- streets in, in Modena, Italy. She stole my brand-new Ford Maverick, a pickup with a small bed, simply because she loved the way it handled. Earlier this week, she tested the new Hummer, and she was astounded. It changed lanes by itself, parked by itself, stunning dashboard, unbelievably quiet, goes zero to 60 in three seconds. She loved it so much, that so I think she's actually going to get the SUV version smaller, perhaps in the fall, which means I'll finally be able to get my truck back. Let's see, an autonomous driving car that's about to be commercial. The ideal robo-taxi built by a young genius Musk type. A Hummer that doesn't pollute and can walk like a crab. What's not to like? My wife's favorite moment, when a passerby saw her in the Hummer and shouted, You go, girl! So as much as I love Elon Musk, let's remember that at least on Earth, Jim Farley and Mary Barra have a ton of game, too. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.